Thanks for listening to the Get Over Yourself podcast brought to you by Carol Fit Stationary Bike Program 8-Minute Workouts to Get Super Fit. Perfect Keto, the cleanest, highest potency ketone supplements. MOFO, Male Optimization Formula with Organs to Boost Testosterone. Let's get checked at Home Testing Kits. Try LGC.com. Almost Heaven, Beautiful Compact Home Use Sauna Kits. Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece, The Mind-Blowing Nut Butter Blend. And check out bradkearns.com slash shop my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance. And here we go with the show. It's funny, like our minds have a tendency, if something is emotionally painful, we often convince ourselves that it must be complicated. So like, for instance, one of the most common emails I get is basically somebody wants to, to break up with somebody, wants to end their relationship. And they'll email Mark Manson about this? All the time, apparently. Uh, And they'll give me this long backstory, and it's like, oh, she's from Omaha, and my grandmother is 92, and blah, blah, blah. And you get, like, through two pages. And it's basically, I want to break up with them, but how do I do it? There are certain standards in therapy practice that must be adhered to. And part of that is that therapists are generally... They're taught to be very, very careful about uh, inserting or, or suggesting their own ideas. You know, they don't want to lead you. They, they want you to find your way yourself. And so they it, it's part of their training that they're not really supposed to kind of be like, hey, here's your blind spot. You messed up. Essentially building self-awareness and any, anything that gets you to view your own thoughts and feelings from an outside perspective, will build that that sense of self-awareness. And so therapy is one way to do that. Journaling is a way to do that. Meditation is a way to do that. Reading books that talk about different thought patterns and ideas is a way to do that. So there are many ways to kind of work that muscle, so to speak. Talk therapy is is one of many tools. It's a very effective tool generally, but it's it's not the only one. Hey folks, I have discovered a bloody awesome new workout program that gets you results in eight minutes. Yes, an eight-minute workout. And don't laugh because the science supports the assertion that a properly conducted high-intensity workout lasting only eight minutes with less than a minute of explosive sprinting effort can deliver more benefits with less downside risk than a pattern of much longer, more depleting cardiovascular workouts. It happens with Carol, my friend Carol. C-A-R-O-L stands for Cardiovascular Optimized Logic. It's an artificial intelligence-powered interactive exercise bicycle that learns to apply the exact resistance you need to get fitter over time. This thing is cool. We're friends. I hit it hard. I get benefits. I get results. Basically, what you do is you go into the program on the screen. You warm up for a bit. You hit an all-out 20-second sprint. You recover for a few minutes. You blast another 20-second sprint. See how high you can get your watts up there like the Tour de France guys. You cool down and you're done. 
<laughs> the video guy on the Carol Fit AI website is wearing a suit and tie because the workout is too short for you to break a sweat. Yes, it's hip, it's slick, it's high tech, but it's also legit because the short sprint elicits a cascade of hormones into the bloodstream that prompt fitness breakthroughs and turbocharge fat metabolism around the clock. Indeed, a little goes a long way, and this program lines up perfectly with my promotion of micro-workouts and short-duration sprints to get the maximum fitness benefits without those downside risks of breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury that happen with the traditional approach to fitness and these long, exhausting, depleting workouts. Go check out Carol Fit AI. The website has all the research. It'll draw you in, teach you all about it. You get a discount for listening to the show and mentioning Brad when you're ready to get your own bike and I don't know about you when you walk through the room and you see that thing sitting there and realize that no it's not a sweaty hour of pain and suffering but an eight minute commitment to continue to boost your fat metabolism build your fitness it draws you in it's so easy to jump on the bike and go because it's short and it's fun Carol Fit AI check it out Hey, listeners, what a tremendous honor to introduce on the Get Over Yourself podcast, the number one best-selling author of the world, Mark Manson, author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, the runaway sensation that put him on the map as one of the great modern philosophers. No joke, this book was the number one best-selling book overall in the world in, I believe it was 2017, released in 2016. Absolutely brilliant breakthrough work, and I'm going to call it probably the transformative book of the, the century, the 21st century. And... um I don't say that lightly. I think the best book of the previous generation was Dan Millman's Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Going to get him on the podcast someday, too. And you'll listen to Mark talk about the surprising runaway success of the book, which has now sold 12 million copies worldwide, translated into many languages, and just thrust him from obscurity or from a decent blog where he gave relationship advice to the top of the heap. And in the show, he talks about the difficulty of uh, adjusting to his new life when this book went crazy. Not something that many people can relate to, but I definitely think you're going to relate to his honesty, his vulnerability, his struggle. And I pitched him, cold cold called him and gave him a clever enough email that he said, sure, what a great surprise to connect with someone this busy and big time. Uh, but I was really taken by his project that he did on audible.com called Love is Not Enough. So it was an audio recording project uh, consisting of uh, an assortment of interviews, repeat interviews with people immersed in relationships relationship struggle. And he had four or five different uh, subjects that he was coaching through these journeys. And he just came off really as a nice guy who had so much kindness and consideration for these people and really wanting them to wanting to help them uh, navigate these things and become better people. So I really encourage you to go over to Audible and listen to Love is Not Enough. And when you go on Amazon now, you can uh, buy this pair of books, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, and the sequel called Everything is Fucked, A Book About Hope. And what an honor it is to be uh, parodied with all these other books that have fuck in the title now. Uh, but this is the original guy that doesn't give a fuck or teaches you more accurately to 
choose what things you give a fuck about and the things that you don't. So we're going to get into some deep topics. I think this is a show that you're going to have to listen to at 1.0 speed instead of 1.75 or 2.0 like I usually do because you have to really reflect on what he has to say. And we're going to get into all kinds of interesting uh, topics like why relationships relationship success is really super simple but we make it so hard and so complex. A lot of that has to do with replaying flawed childhood programming. Uh, we're going to talk about how the emotional brain actually rules over the rational thinking brain, even though our rational thinking brain convinces us that this is not so. And that is kind of the centerpiece of the Everything is Fucked book. And then we get into uh, some of the content uh, of the subtle art of not giving a fuck that resonated so well across the world with people, uh, the idea of maintaining maintaining an identity that is defined by as little as possible and seeing your life as a series of decisions and actions. So this is pretty heavy stuff. I think it's going to have great value to you and you're going to love this good-natured guy, Mark Manson, coming to you from New York City where he's under quarantine and struggling to complete his workouts just like all of us, a real person fighting the battle, doing his best, and putting out wonderful content at his blog. So go look at that, markmanson.net. Get the books. Get up to speed. Here he is on the podcast. Mark. How are you? Hold on. Hey, man. Thank you. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Hey, sorry I missed out yesterday. Uh, you know, quarantine life. It's just shit's weird. <laughs> it's its getting crazy. Yeah. How is it in New York City? That's got to be the most, the ultimate uh, quarantine experience. Um, it is, it is the ultimate quarantine experience. I actually, I've only been outside three times in the last six weeks. Serious? Yeah. Um, uh it's just there's not really anywhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's not much space here. Um, and, yeah, the, the city has basically told everybody that, like, unless you're getting food or medicine or exercising, like, please stay home. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we're pretty, like, comfortable and situated here. So why why mess with it? But... But yeah, it's been um, it's been a wild ride. So wow, uh, yeah, I feel like the getting outside and using your lungs and fresh air would be important as long as you have six feet, which is pretty easy in Central Park. But you know, the L.A. mayors closed down the beaches and the hiking trails, and it doesn't doesn't seem like that's a big risk compared to you know, Costco yeah. still open. Yeah, yeah, it's um. The parks were open here, and then I think they got so crowded that um, <laughs> they've kind of, like, told people to to stay away. Yeah, so. unique problems in New York, yeah. It's, yeah. Like the, it's like the health club business. If If every member came every day, the health club industry would go bankrupt because they can't fit 10,000 members. The only way they make money is people signing up, paying their monthly dues, and hardly ever coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, man, I appreciate you uh, doing this, and um, I'm I'm so excited to talk to you. Your insights have been life changing for me, and um, I got all kinds of all kinds of stuff to uh, cool to to straighten out. Uh, my my first insight was listening to that "Love Is Not Enough," and 
you, you come off as a pretty nice guy for a big shot author doing this thing and you care about these people and the, the way you dispense advice too. I mean, the, you're hitting them with some pretty hard stuff, but they don't even realize it because you, you say it with loving kindness and you're very sensitive to their responses. And then you get them into a completely different mode. It was, it was beautiful. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was a fun project and it was, uh, it was a, a cool, it was a cool experience to, to, to watch people develop and change over the course of, of months. And so. then, then we get to the end and you're saying, look, it's, it's that simple, everybody. It's so simple to make it work, but then we make it so hard. So I, I wanted to start there and like, you know, see, see if we can um, get some tips and tricks to, you know, unwind these, the complexity and, the, and the, the pain and suffering that we see so commonly in relationships when it really is, when it really is so simple. Yeah, the, the concept of, of simple but difficult. Um, it's funny, like our minds have a tendency, if something is emotionally painful, we often convince ourselves that it must be complicated. So like, for instance, one of the most common emails I get is it's basically somebody who wants to, to break up with somebody, wants to end their relationship. And, and, and they'll, they'll email they'll, Mark Manson about this? They, all the time, apparently. Uh, it, and it, it, they'll, they'll give me this long backstory and it's like, ah, oh, she's from Omaha and my grandmother is... 92 and blah, blah, blah. And then you get like through two pages and it's basically, I want to break up with them, but how do I do it? And to me, this is always a funny question because it's, it's actually very easy to break up with somebody or not easy, but it's very simple to break up with somebody. You sit down with them and you say, this isn't working for me. I would like to end it. That's it. You know, it's like breakup done. But um, because saying those words is so excruciatingly painful for us. We start convincing ourselves that there it's this very complicated process and that we need an expert to give us steps one through 12 and that we need to understand different mental models and all. It's like, no, you just need to sit down with somebody and simply say the words. And so this plays out in all sorts of dimensions with life. You know, people who are very anxious tend to make something much more complicated than it actually is. Um, you know, people who are, who are sad will, will come up with explanations for their sadness that are very intricate and complex. And it's like, no, man, you just, you just had a shitty week. Like it's, it's sometimes things are, and actually usually things are extremely simple um, and we just, we tend to complicate them in our heads. Hmm. Maybe because our identity is attached to all these different things. And then we read in the subtle art that we want our identity to be defined by as little as possible. And I think about that one all the time. I'm trying to unwind that because here I am, Mark, hey, my identity has been uh, an athlete for my whole life. And I'm so proud to be an athlete and, and put my postings on Instagram and, and get more likes and then uh, build my self-esteem. And uh, you're kind of shattering these illusions um, <laughs> to, to your credit, right? If we can figure this out and we can get, uh, you know, get a complete grasp of it, I think we open ourselves up to greater possibilities. But for the most part, we're stuck uh, attached to all these, all these things that we, uh, that we think we are. Yeah. Well, the athlete thing is, is interesting. And, and I think you, you've definitely, um, you've kind of bucked the trend a little bit by, by 
by remaining so athletic uh, into your older years. But like, I, I, one thing that's always fascinated me is, is seeing athletes, you know, say career ending injuries in their twenties or thirties or whatever, you know, and, or watching kind of hall of fame athletes, level caliber athletes um, retiring and, and kind of the, the lack of grace <laughs> in which they retire with um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating to me and it's completely understandable because it's like, if you like these people, if you take somebody, I don't know, like, like Brett Favre or Peyton Manning or somebody or Michael Jordan, like they have been doing this thing. They've been the best person at this thing since they were like four years old. And it has been what they've done with all of their free time. It's what they've gotten paid money for. It's what they've been loved for. It's what they've gotten attention for. Uh, it's what they're known for. And then suddenly it's, it's over. And you know, that, that is, that is like an identity crisis. And, um, and so I think one of the, one, I have a friend here in New York who actually, he, he's a sports psychologist and he, and he works with a lot of professional athletes here on, on a lot of the New York sports teams. And he told me once, he said, yeah, whenever I get a young guy who comes in and he said, one of the first things I sit them down and talk to him about is you need to, what are you going to do when basketball is over? Or what are you going to do when baseball is over? Um, because like, yes, you're 24 now and you're like, you're in your prime. Um, but in 10, 15 years, like this is over and you're going to need, you're going to need something else or else you're just going to be lost. Um, and so he kind of prepares them for that, that fall. And so one, one of the ideas, I mean, this is kind of a long tangent to, to get back to one of the core ideas of subtle art, which is like, I think a lot of it is holding your identity loosely. But another thing that I write about is I think of it in terms of like diversifying your identity. So not just being an athlete, you know, find your self-esteem in multiple places, be a good athlete, be a good father, be a good partner, be a good friend, um, be a business owner, be an investor, be, be all these different things that you can find, like find multiple places where you can take pride and, and, um, and self-esteem so that uh, if one of the chair legs gets knocked out, <laughs> God forbid, you, you don't fall on your ass. <laughs> right. I think for, for, forget about retiring, even, even during the the experience, I mean, the reason I named my podcast Get Over Yourself is because that was the number one lesson that I had to learn as an athlete while I was an athlete to not attach my self-esteem to the outcome because if I was able to be free from that, I was then fearless. I was like, what the F, uh, to use one of your terms, I could get on the starting line and just compete uh, without that nervousness and that pressure and that tension and that anxiety. And I suppose that extends to a writer trying to write a book and if it's or, or someone trying to pass the bar exam if it's life or death I mean that can motivate us to a certain extent and I think that's when we get the the train wreck lifestyles of the athletes where that's all the all they're all about and they, they can't function otherwise if they if they have a bad day it ruins everything 
Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. Totally. totally. Yeah. It, it's, it's the old process over outcome thing, right? It's like, like focus on, on what you can control. You can't control the outcome, but you can control how well you do something, you know, how, how, uh, the amount of effort and energy that you put into something, you know? So yeah, I think that applies all, all over life, uh, including, including writing as well as athletics. <laughs> uh, what about relationships? Uh, can you, can you go in there and, um, you know, we're supposed to see our life as a series of decisions and actions that, that takes away the identity part. Can you apply that to, a love relationship and sort of not be attached to the outcome, just do your best every day and not take, not take anything for granted. Like, Hey, uh, we're, we're planning to stay married and raise this kid maybe, uh, or, or that kind of thing. Uh, actually I think it absolutely works with relationships. And, and one of the first things, uh, that I think kind of any good relationship coach will say is that, Success isn't necessarily staying together. Sometimes success means breaking up with somebody. Um, you know, sometimes two people are just not right for each other. Like it's just not a good situation. And so, um, and, and, you know, kind of bringing it back to love is not enough. Like I, I definitely always made an effort to not have some sort of set expectation in mind of like what is right for this person. You know, sometimes they would come in and with, a problem and, and they would have an expectation of what they wanted to get from the process, but it's, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is what is good for them or, or what is healthy for them. And so, um, my philosophy with relationships is that you focus on, uh, 
your emotional health, like get, get your emotional life in order, get your emotional uh, health in order. And the outward stuff will start to take care of itself. Bad relationships will either improve or they will fall away. Mm. Um, and good relationships will get better. Uh, Cause I think the opposite approach, you know, it's like deciding if you're having like relation, like marriage problems and you decide like, you know what, my partner, uh, I want him or her to be this way. Like they need to understand this and I'm not going to be happy until my partner does X, Y, and Z. Like you're just setting yourself up for misery. <laughs> but so, so common. I mean, we, we go yeah. there, we, we trigger there so quickly. Um, so how do we distinguish between, um, you know, our, our flawed childhood programming playing out versus a healthy request or an establishment of boundaries that you you talked about so frequently uh yeah. with your with your uh your your guests on love is not enough I, it, it's hard i mean this comes back to the simple but difficult um you know we we all have some of these unhealthy patterns and how we we interact with people especially people we're close with or intimate with uh and I think the first thing is just to recognize those patterns in yourself, recognize mm-hmm. like, oh, this is an area that I tend to get triggered and try to control my partner or control the relationship. Um, and recognizing that and then allowing yourself to kind of let go of that control and, and simply, you know, tell your partner how you feel, say like this, this makes me feel this way, but then leave it alone. And, and, um, trust them to 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 be there for you or to to come to some sort of solution that works for both people boy that recognition is a tough one maybe sometimes you need someone outside of yourself like a good friend setting you straight you know i've had those people in my life that had no filter on their mouth and mostly they were um you know they had a a high score in the the dick category in general life but you know, I treasure that, that, uh, unfiltered feedback because it is so rare these days. Yeah. It's, I think friends can be good for it. Family. It's hard to find people in your life that will a be honest with you and B not project their own desires and prejudices onto you as well. You know, it's, um, I remember I, uh, when I was in college, my, so my first serious relationship, my, my girlfriend left me. It was, it was a disaster. She was cheating on me and it was just this big drama blow up or whatever. And I remember, um, I'd kind of be like, I lived next door to like this pizza place and I, and I kind of become friends with some of the guys who work there. They're like old school Italian dudes in Boston. And, uh, and I was like really busted up about this breakup. And I went in there one day and like the guy working there was like, Hey man, you, you don't look so good. Like what's wrong? And I told him like, Oh, my girlfriend just left me and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and he's like, you know, he gives me like a free slice and he's like, sit down, man, let's talk about it. And I'm like, Oh wow, this guy's so nice. Like I, you know, this is so great. And then he starts, he's like, you know what the problem is? Women, man, they just fucking lie to you. They just, they're, they're all liars. And he starts going into this like super sexist tirade. And I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. <laughs> like, thank you for being honest, but, uh, this isn't very helpful right now. You know, I got the hell out of there. So it's like, 
you need people to be honest, but you also need to make sure that they have your best interest, that they're not just projecting their own right. bullshit onto you, um, that they're not just, you know, trying to prove something to themselves. And it's hard to find that. It's really hard to find that. Well, I guess you could find that in therapy if it were a really valuable uh interaction where instead of just someone listening to you spill your guts which is kind of my aversion to I don't, I don't need to pay somebody for me to you know launch into my my diatribe but if someone can kind of help set you straight with that independent perspective yeah yeah a good therapist you know i think ideally that's kind of what they're there for um you know relationship uh counselors generally that's kind of what they're there for um but, but yeah i mean it, the quality varies a lot yeah it seemed like your approach on the on the recordings was sort of counter to our usual uh experience of therapy and it, it seemed more effective because you were kind of cutting to cutting to the chase in certain ways or getting getting the people to look at things maybe in a different way than they might after 50 therapy sessions yeah it's um you know, there are certain standards in therapy practice that must be adhered to. And part of that is that therapists are generally, they're taught to be very, very careful about uh, inserting or, or suggesting their own ideas. You know, they don't want to lead you. They, they want you to find your way yourself. And so they, it, it's part of their training that they're not really supposed to kind of be like, hey, here's your blind spot. You messed up. Um, that's, that's, that's kind of looked down upon in, mm -hmm. in the therapy profession, which, which is understandable. I think if you're trying to like kind of create a, a one size fits all template, um, you know, you, you have to be aware, you have to be careful of those sorts of things. Like as some, as a coach or somebody who's trying to help somebody else, like you, you need to be aware of the ways you could potentially project your biases and prejudices onto them or lead them in a, in a direction that they wouldn't necessarily want to go with themselves. Um, I'm not a therapist. I'm just a dude uh, who writes stuff. And so I have the liberty to kind of just steer people where I want them to. And, and I try, and I just, I'm very open about my thought process as I do it. Um, and so in many ways, it's much more aggressive than typical therapy. Mm. And it's the sort of thing that uh, if I'm good at what I do, then it can be very effective. Um, but if I'm not, it can be dangerous, you know? So it's like, if I'm an idiot and I just, if I'm like the guy in the pizza shop, <laughs> I could start, I could, un I could start leading people down some like bad beliefs, you know, cause they're putting their faith in me and, and trusting me. Um, so it's adult, like the, the way I, th I would call it like the way of like self-help people do it. It's a little bit of a double-edged sword and that it can be more effective. Uh, but you have to be very careful of who you're listening to because if they have an agenda, then, um, I think people can be very easily misled. Well, if I get you, I guess if you get misled down the wrong path, you could have an awakening and, and, you know, your, your educational growth thing could be that you conclude the guy's an idiot 
who, who gave you this advice. <laughs> and, and that could be wonderful. I could be like, hey, hey, Mark, I wanted to thank you so much for telling me to suggesting I break up with my girlfriend. We're back together. I just got her a ring. Hey, man, you know. Um, <laughs> and I think those things happen in real life, too. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's it's I've been wrong many times um, and I try to always remain aware of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look throughout the self-help industry, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, movements and gurus that kind of went down some stray path. Um, and, and people, and it actually ended up teaching people what not to do essentially. (laughs) Very valuable life lesson. I'll never forget it. Yeah. So back to that uh, that that first step that we need to acknowledge our our flawed patterns. Do you think that we we know better than we we might admit if we really sat down and and got quiet about it and and maybe without the therapist's help or the life coach um, we could we could just recognize how we're sabotaging or doing those repeating patterns that were described with the people you helped and and love is not enough. I I think, you know, anything that builds self-awareness will, um, will help with these sorts of processes. Um, so therapy is one way to do that, you know, and, and essentially building self-awareness, any, anything that gets you to view your own thoughts and feelings from an outside perspective will build that, that, sense of self-awareness. And so therapy is one way to do that. Uh, journaling is a way to do that. Meditation is a way to do that. Um, reading books that talk about different thought patterns and ideas is a way to do that. So there are many ways to kind of work that muscle, so to speak. Um, talk therapy is, is one of many tools. It's a very effective tool generally, but it's, it's not the only one. How about getting the emotional brain to connect with the thinking brain? Uh, I'd love to talk about that some more because that was a, a real um, uh, eye-opener for me because we're we're so good with the thinking brain. And I, I kind of, I remember back to the athletic reference, I was, I was this highly analytical athlete where I'd, I'd you know, sort out the, the things that uh, caused me to race poorly and then uh, design a, a scheme to change them and strategize with different experts. And you're going so far down into your, your thinking brain. And especially if it comes to relationships or personal improvement or the things that you, you write about so much. Um, how do we, how do we make that bridge where we, we acknowledge that the emotional brain rules overall, or you can describe it better. I'm sure this is, this is the content from everything is fucked. I'm getting to. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in the last book, I talked about how our general assumption is that our uh, is that we're rational creatures who sit down and plan things and schedule things and set goals for ourselves and do A, B, and C to try to achieve those goals. And uh, you know, there is a certain amount of stuff of that that does happen in our heads, but ultimately, we're all very emotional creatures. We come, we generally come to our beliefs and our conclusions emotionally. Um, we make our decisions emotionally by and large. And typically our, our thinking brain is his job is to simply 
come up with the explanations afterwards that make our, our emotional decisions sound correct to us. Mm. Um, and I think anybody who's, you know, it's interesting you bring up the analytical thing because I, I've, I have a tendency to get super analytical and start quanti- like quantifying all this. You know, I used to track like how many hours I wrote and um, how many words I would write per hour and all this stuff. And, and I think anybody who does that sort of thing long enough and is honest about it, they start to notice all the different subtle ways that they like can fudge the numbers one way or another. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, you know, what, when, what time do you, exactly do you start counting? And, you know, oh, that, that thing you jotted down in the evening, does that count? Because that didn't fall with, you know, you start finding all these little, you move the parameters around to kind of fit the conclusion you want to see. And, uh, and this is a very well-known problem in science in general is that just people, it's, it's very easy to uh, take the, uh, the fence posts and move the fence posts around in such a way to kind of get the result that you are looking for and, and doing it without even realizing you're doing it. Um, and so the first half of my book, everything is fucked is kind of about this, about how just really untrustworthy <laughs> we are, um, you know, our own thoughts are how, how pretty much all of our thoughts, no matter how rational we believe we're being, we, we there's some sort of ulterior motive going on and um, there's something we're trying to prove. There's something we're trying to show that we deserve or we don't deserve. Um, and it, it's, you can't really, that's, that's simply a part of human nature. You can't really defeat that. Um, and I talk about how throughout a lot of modern history, um, the idea was that we, we could defeat irrationality through being civilized, rational, educated, you know, men and women. And, uh, you know, the, the, the science is back and it's like, you just can't, you, you, you will not get rid of that, that impulsive side, side of ourselves, that bias side of ourselves. And so the most that we can do is simply become aware of it and work with it rather than against it. And so I, I kind of, the way I describe it is like, you have two brains, a thinking brain and a feeling brain, and they're bad at talking to each other. You know, the thinking brain thinks it's, it's in charge. Um, and, and the, the feeling brain is actually in charge. And, um, and so really what an emotionally healthy person is, is somebody who has managed to kind of integrate their thoughts and their feelings in a way where you are able to think somewhat objectively about your feelings and what biases you might have. Um, and then also be, and also be able to set up parameters for yourself that, you will create feelings that are useful for yourself rather than hinder yourself. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's an abstract idea, but I think it's a very powerful idea. And I think it, it kind of applies all over. Um, you know, the, when you were mentioning your experience in athletics of trying to like overanalyze everything and quantify everything, it, it, it's, I see this a lot in, uh, you know, just as a fan of sports is that I think what gets lost sometimes is that if, if you view a sport as a system with a bunch of variables that are interacting to create a certain result, people forget that emotion is one of those variables. It's like, 
your emotions are the emotion of the emotions of the athlete are is a variable in the system that will produce output um so if you're like upset that day or feeling crappy or you got in a fight with your your mom or something like that affects output that affects results but it's it's not easy to measure feelings and so we often just skip over it <laughs> <laughs> or or make up a rationalization to uh, to to justify the crazy ass emotional behavior that leads to uh, uh narcissism addiction uh what was on your list uh, uh depression anxiety all these things and then we, yeah. we convince ourselves that it wasn't our fault or what have you so um you mentioned setting up some parameters to stay away from that uh, persistent low level narcissism that that comes as a result of not having that good communication how what are the um what are some parameters how can we how can we nail this <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give you a really good example that, that actually just came up today. Um, uh, so I, I've, I'm in quarantine and my exercise habits have just kind of like fallen off. Um, as I imagine a lot of people have during this period, um, gym is closed, you know, can't work with my trainer in person anymore, you know, all this. And so my trainer is kind of, he's, been bugging me to like do some home workouts and I'm I just don't do them <laughs> every week I've got another excuse and it, it just doesn't happen and so finally he actually he and I had a talk today and we kind of talked about like how we could change some things to to, to make it work and uh it and basically he said you know okay let's do this for the next month every time you miss a workout I'm going to donate money to the political party that you paid. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And uh, I, I immediately was like just overwhelmed with fear. I was like, Oh God, no. And he's like, not only am I going to donate money to that political party, but I'm going to donate it in your name so that they know it came from you. And I was like, no, dude, no, you can't do that. No, it's like, absolutely not. He's like, okay, we'll do your workouts. And I was like, oh God. Goodbye. <laughs> I know. And so Whoops, like now got I'm... another call. See you, Mark. Good luck. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and so now I'm, I'm, I am like filled with terror. I guarantee you I'm going to do every workout this week. Like it's just, and, but it's, it's brilliant that, that, he did that. And I actually talked about doing stuff like that in my book, but it's, it's, you can create spreadsheets, you can create plans, you can create schedules, you can, you can organize all day and all night, but until you shift your emotion in such a way to make you do something, to motivate you to do something, uh, you're never going to do it. And so I, I use this example as instead of going over all the plans and trying to like logic me into working out, uh, he's basically scaring me into doing it and uh, which is very effective. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember uh, doing this with the, the soccer team kids that I coach. I think I got it from some military example, but uh, if, if a kid was goofing around or, or showed up late um, what I, what I started doing was having them stand and watch and clap while their teammates did uh, punishment push-ups or, or whatever. And so yep. sort of the opposite switch from some kid trying to get attention and didn't mind doing the extra push-ups. Uh, now, I'm sure that's going to be highly effective for 
the first week or two weeks or three weeks, but is there some, I mean, you said the first emotion that came up was fear. Um, can that, can that carry you for a long duration time? And is that healthy? Because it's of course a negative emotion in your example. Well, generally, well, first of all, negative emotions can be very, very useful. Uh, and that's, that's one thing I talked about in subtle art that I think gets lost a lot these days. Um, I get, so many emails of people saying, how do I stop feeling anxious? How do I stop feeling, uh, you know, angry? And I'm like, well, depends, you know, it, it's the emotion itself isn't bad. It's what are you doing with that emotion? I actually got an email today from uh, a frontline hospital worker. She's working 14 hour shifts, you know, dealing with COVID-19 patients. Um, and she said, she's like, I'm stressed all the time. Like, how do I stop being stressed? And I'm like, you don't. I didn't, re- <laughs> exactly. I didn't reply. I'm like, no, you're supposed to be stressed. Like, the, you know, the only thing that is keeping you working 14 hours mm. stress. I'm so excited to introduce you to Paluva. This is a new zero drop minimalist shoe with the distinctive five toe design from my main man, Mark Sisson. Paluvas give you the most authentic barefoot style experience, but with sufficient cushioning so you can use them for all manner of daily movement, especially walking and many other fitness and athletic activities. Paluvas are also incredibly stylish, so you get a barefoot shoe that you're not embarrassed to wear around in daily life. It's been so cool to see the popularity of minimalist shoes grow over the recent years, but Paluvas are a step ahead of every other zero-drop wide-box shoe because of the critical feature of individual five-toe articulation, a separate slot for each of your toes. This allows for correct dynamic movement of the foot through the walking or running stride, which is impossible when your toes are encased into a single box, even a wide box. Well, you might know that minimalist shoes have faced controversy in recent years for causing injuries from inappropriate use. So here is the big picture mission. We want to get you walking in paluvas, living in your paluvas, going barefoot in your home or other safe areas as often as possible. Go ahead and use your specialized cushiony running shoes or your basketball shoes, work boots, high heels, things that you want to wear when you want to wear them, but wear your Paluvas as much as possible to reawaken the natural functionality of the human foot to stand, walk, run, and perform. Do you want to try a pair? I'm certain that when you put them on and walk around, you are going to quickly realize that these are the most comfortable, natural shoes that you've ever worn. They are designed to feel like you're, quote, walking barefoot on a putting green. Please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. Um, stress is not always a bad thing. Stress, stress is a, our body's call to action. Um, it, and so it can happen for bad reasons. It can cause us to do bad things. It can happen for reasons that don't make sense. But if you're a doctor and you're dealing with dozens and dozens of COVID-19 patients, like you should be stressed. And that, that's a, that is a good moment for you to be stressed and because it is helping you accomplish what you need to accomplish in that moment. Um, so the, fir- the, I'll answer the kind of two, two part answer here. The first part is, you know, 
negative emotions aren't always bad. And fear is actually a great motivator <laughs> if it can be put in the right context. Um, two, you know, I think whenever you're, so like me, like with me, the workouts, for instance, um, the goal. So for many, many years of my life, I was always very good about going to the gym. I never really had trouble exercising. Suddenly I'm in quarantine, can't really go outside. Gyms are closed and I'm like lost. I'm complete. I'm like doing push. I feel like a dolphin in my living room trying to do sit-ups and move my legs and all this. I'm like, what the hell is this? I don't want to do this anymore. And it's, I don't have those habits in place. And so the, the way you build, basically you want to leverage your emotion to do the action you want to do long enough so that it becomes a habit so that it, it no longer feels difficult anymore. It starts to feel automatic, but to get to that automatic place, you have to leverage emotion. You know, it's, you, you can't, uh, you, you know, you can't take somebody who, who has eaten junk food all their life and just overnight, they're going to like fix it. Like you, you have to set up parameters, you know, rewards and punishments and, threats and and uh pleasures that are, are going to kind of nudge that person in into the behaviors and into the right behaviors and so that they can do them long enough that they start to experience the rewards of the behaviors themselves that they, they no longer need that external pressure or that external motivation right so you could certainly throw positive emotions into this mix and positive motivations like you're going to win a prize. Your trainer's going to take you out to dinner. If you can do three workouts in a row, what have you, it doesn't totally. have to be the, the donation to the, <laughs> to <laughs> totally. the, the evil parties. of the, yeah. yeah, totally. But what's interesting is that people tend to, some people respond much better to positive reinforcement. Some people respond much better to negative reinforcement. Mm. Um, me, for whatever reason, I respond really, really well to negative reinforcement. It's, it's nothing motivates me more than somebody telling me I can't do something like nothing or like somebody telling me I suck at something like that. It, it just lights a fire in me. Whereas, and I've noticed that just over the years with coaches and mentors and classes I've done you know the, the the teachers and coaches who are who are like hey great job I'm really proud of you like it means nothing to me it's it's the coach who's like what the fuck is this like this you are like what are you you're so better so you could do so much better than this Mark what the hell are you doing it's like those are the people those are the coaches that get the best out of me and it's just a personality hmm it seems like that's uh a universal um that, that would be universally beneficial unless you cracked and you couldn't handle someone giving you direct feedback but i think you know you write about this uh stereotype entitled uh generation where they're all they're getting is a trophy for ninth place and their whole lives they've had nothing but you know they, i guess they've eliminated that uh that opportunity for the emotional charge to lead yeah. to action because everything's wonderful all the time yeah. Yeah. And look, we, we need both, right? Like you need positive and negative reinforcement. We all do. Uh, if you have all positive reinforcement and no negative reinforcement, you turn into a entitled 
nitwit, you know, who demands everything right now and thinks they deserve everything. If you only have negative feedback and no positive feedback, then you, you get a lot of very neurotic, self-hating people. Um, and so you, you need a nice mix of both. And, and, and they also need to be contextualized, you know, it's, uh, and they also need to be delivered in a certain way. You know, it's with negative feedback, generally you want negative feedback to be about effort and not the person. Um, so it's, it's, you don't ever want to be like, you're an idiot. You're never going to be able to do this. You know, like that's bad negative feedback. Good negative feedback is you're capable of so much more. I wish you put in more effort. I think you underestimate yourself. You know, what the Mm -hmm. fuck are you doing? Like that, that's a good negative feedback. Um, and same thing with positive feedback. Generally it's, it's, if you, you say like, Oh, you're, you're just a little genius. You're going to do amazing things. Like that, that, that demotivates people, you know, cause they're like, Oh, well, I'm a genius. So I don't need to work at this. Um, whereas if you applaud the effort, then, um, it generally encourages greater amounts of effort in the future. But yeah, it, it's, a uh, it's funny cause this is something that I, I found so important in my own life. And, and when I talk to people and work with people, you know, everybody in the love is not enough audiobook, like I very early on, I try to kind of get a sense of where they are on that spectrum. If they need encouragement or mm. if they need somebody to kind of kick them in the ass a little bit. Um, and it, it's people, people react to different things. Um, so yeah, it's it's useful to know that about yourself. Could this be connected to um, the thinking brain and the feeling brain as far as where you are on the spectrum of, of what you need, positive and negative feedback? Um, I don't know. It's definitely, it, it's some sort of innate personality thing for sure. Um, I think it, some people have a tendency to... Um, Let's put it this way. Some people have a tendency to kind of overestimate themselves and some people have a tendency to kind of underestimate themselves. And I think people who tend to overestimate themselves, which, which I include myself in that it, it feels, it's very healthy for me to, to like hear somebody kind of cut me down a little bit. Um, because I just, I have a tendency, if left to my own devices, I just know from my personal history that I have a tendency to get a little bit cocky and lethargic. You know, it's like, ah, oh, I don't need to work out this week, whatever. Like, <laughs> I'll be fine. Um, and it, it's, so the negative feedback kind of, it brings, it balances me out a little bit. And I, I do know that there's a lot of people who are just incredibly hard on themselves, often mm-hmm. for completely unnecessary reasons. And I think for them, you know, it's kind of weighting the positive feedback. It's probably going to be more effective. Are these things stemming from our uh, programming from childhood experiences? You know, I I really don't know. I I definitely think that there's probably just a, a, a personality, like a permanent personality component, you know, the same way some people are just more extroverted and some people are not. I think some people just really respond to abrasiveness 
better than others. And, um, but I mean, that's just, that's just the conjecture. I actually don't know any research on that. Um, I'm reminded of your, your comments you gave to Aubrey Marcus on the podcast about, uh, you know, you're talking in the subtle art about uh, appreciating the struggle in life, focusing on the meaningful struggle, choosing what to give a fuck about, and then describing how your head exploded with the incredible success of the book. And you had to sort of recalibrate or you had a, a lull period where you were, were doing the video games and the junk food. I'd love to know more about that. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the, the success of subtle art, and I guess for listeners who don't know, like subtle art, subtle art, not giving a fuck it, uh, at this point, I think it sold over 12 million copies, um, which in the publishing world, that's like, it's, it's pretty good. It's very it's, good. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's up nice. There. It's, nice. Yes. It's very, very nice. I'm Translated no in Kazakhstan as well. <laughs> yeah. Definitely no no uh complaints over here. But it's it was so it's success so far outstripped my expectations that I, I literally hit a point where I didn't know what to do with myself. You know, in, in my mind, uh, you know, there's that John Lennon quote that life is what happens to you when you're making other plans. You know, in my mind I had planned like, okay, this is my first book let's try to get a good launch. And then, you know, over books two, three, four, and five, I'll try to build up, you know, become a big bestseller, develop like a, you know, hit the speaking circuit, do all these things. And pretty much all of my kind of life goals that I had lined out for myself over the next 10, 10 to 20 years, um, I hit them all in like three, three months, you know, and, <laughs> and which was, incredible it was absolutely amazing for about six weeks and then on like week seven I woke up and I'm like oh my god I have no clue what to do with myself <laughs> because it's like everything that I've been working for and dreaming about for the last 10 years like just happened and now it's over like now I have to like I don't know what the next thing is like how do you there's only it felt like there was only, you could only go down from there. Um, and so I, I just, I actually became very lost and kind of depressed for about a year. And uh, which was really unexpected, which I think made it a little bit more difficult. And then what also made it a little bit more difficult was that I never really felt right talking to people about it because, you know, the last thing anybody wants to hear is like, oh, I sold 5 million books and was number one in 12 countries. And I'm depressed. Like nobody wants to hear that guy. <laughs> they're going to use, they're going to use a comment of one of the words in your title. They're going to throw it back at you. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I just, I felt very lost and confused about it for a while. And, um, and it, what I eventually, the conclusion I came to was that I needed ultimately, like we always need something to look forward to. Uh, which, you know, and it's no coincidence that this kind of became the theme of my second book, but we all need something to look forward to. And it's what we're accustomed to is that when things get so bad, we struggle to find something to look forward to. But what we don't realize is that also if things be go really, really well, you can also struggle to, to find something to look forward to. Uh, and so it's for me, it was very much just about 
finding new dreams and new goals for myself um, and finding, finding a new vision for myself in kind of like a post subtle art life. Uh, and that, that pulled me out of it. It, you know, that was a big realization for me. And it's, and it's been funny because I, I've been talking about this in a lot of interviews since then, you know, last couple of years. And, and a lot of people have reached out, um, you know, people, people have told me that, um, people who started businesses and then sold them for a bunch of money, um, people who, uh, Actually, apparently it's, it's, it's not uncommon with athletes, like people who like go to the Olympics or whatever, and then suddenly it's over, you know, it's, it's, they, they've told me that it's like, this is the hardest part of period of my life is I actually had a friend here in town who, uh, he was co-founder of like a big startup, successful startup. And he, uh, they went public a couple years ago and, you know, suddenly he's just worth like tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and he, I, you know, I'm not super close with him, but I, I would hang out with him once or twice a year. And, uh, and I knew that he had also been playing a lot of video games. And so I started hanging out with him. <laughs> you found and, him online. Uh, you found his screen name there in the corner. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, and, and I started telling, it was during this period. I started telling him about it and, uh, and he just looked at me and he's like, yeah, dude, he's like, I've, since my company went public, he's like, all I do is play video games. He's like, I'm so lost. I have no idea what to do with myself. Um, so it's a, it's a thing. And it's a, <laughs> it's a thing. It's a real it's thing. P- people. P- somebody told me that, that it's, it's called, uh, she had heard it called uh, astronaut syndrome. Because oh, ast- yeah. Because astronauts who came back from space knew that nothing else that they ever did in their life would ever compared to what they just did. And and so it's very common for astronauts to go through a, a period of depression afterwards. Yeah, I also wonder if you, you know, take a step back, we, we can talk again when we're uh, 80 and uh, 93 or whatever. Uh, but, you know, these highs and lows that you've already experienced at, at relatively young age, maybe those are part and parcel. So if you become a sensational number one bestseller, maybe that pairs with a year of eating junk food, playing too many video games, having ennui and wondering what's next. Uh, I mean, is that sort of a necessary component rather than the opposite would be, yeah, Mark punches the clock. He's always here at 8 a.m. and he checks out at five and he's worked here 47 years. Yeah. Yeah, I, it could be. I mean, one thing that I really had to work hard for myself is to stop judging that, you know, and, and, and accept that, you know, even if maybe that's not true for everybody, maybe that's true for me. Maybe I needed that period. Um, and that in some ways it would be almost inhuman to not, uh, you know, to show up the next day and write as if nothing happens, you know, like that, that actually right. sounds even crazier, you yeah. know? It's, well, and so, I guess unless you're going for, uh, unless you want a, a bigger private jet and, and some of those people, they're insatiable and that doesn't seem too healthy to me either. So maybe this was a more healthy response than, you know, buying your own billboard in Times Square because now you could uh, afford to promote your book more. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's, it's something, uh, and that's something that I, I often struggle with sometimes too, which is I don't need a lot to be happy. Uh, I'm like a pretty simple dude. It was funny. I did a, I did a, I did a a podcast with like one of these like really like manly man's man's fitness shows or whatever. And they're like, like mine. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super macho. (laughs) And, uh, and they're like, so bro, like, well, be honest. Like, what'd you spend your first check on? And (laughs) they were like dead serious. And they were expecting me to like, say I bought like a car or a boat or like, something ridiculous right and uh and i told them i was like well i, I bought a new nintendo <laughs> and, they, and they just started they thought that was the funniest thing in the world but uh but it's true it's like i i don't i don't need a lot and so sometimes i feel when i live simply i feel guilty that i'm not taking advantage of like all the opportunity i've been given in mm-hmm. life but then when i am working my ass off and and, and spending a bunch of money then i feel guilty of like I don't need this to be happy. So it's one of those situations where, you know, you're just human and your brain fucks you over no matter what you do. (laughs) Yeah. It's a difficult struggle to achieve the balance there. And so, you know, now I'm 55 year old dude and I've spent the first 50 years of my life enjoying myself, pursuing my own passions, answering to my own drummer, and then sitting back and going, gosh, I haven't been entirely responsible with my uh, building of wealth and security and, and making sound decisions and manifesting, uh, you know, all that's necessary. So, you know, I want to, I want to improve as a person all the time, but to, to have that balance where, um, you know, I don't have an insatiable need for uh, the Lamborghini that's you know, orange on the outside and, and black on the inside. Uh, but, you know, again, if you just, uh, you know, want to be a surf bum the rest of your life, that might be a source of pain and suffering too. So, you know, to strike that balance, I, I guess it's um, an ongoing challenge. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because whenever I start talking about this, a lot of people remind me that I, I, in chapter two of Subtle Art, I like very explicitly said this, is that like, no matter what you do, you're going to be slightly dissatisfied with what you're doing. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, so it, it's been funny because a lot of, and it's been, it's been funny and it's been ironic in that like a lot of kind of the existential struggle that I've gone through since Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck has come out has been explicitly described in the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And so I, I've been... Um, forced to eat my what's the saying? Eat my crud, or I don't know. I don't remember what. Yeah, we, or they uh, re- regurgitate your own uh, pages, choke on them, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just the, there's some metaphor there that I'm missing, but yeah, I'm I'm supposed to eat my own crow. As it were. <laughs> oh man, Mark, I, I appreciate the <laughs> I appreciate the chance to catch up with you. And it's the, the the depth of your books is it's a challenge, man. I used to listen to all my books at 1.75 speed, sometimes double speed, because I can listen to as many books as possible. But we got to really slow down and absorb these insights. And I appreciate you walking us through them on the show. I think it's going to really entice the reader to go grab uh, the necessary if they haven't read them. Um, and I think they they string together nicely, and it gets us thinking about these things, especially that. Um, connecting the the feeling brain with the thinking brain that that's an ongoing i mean almost every thought that comes out 
you can kind of you can kind of see where we're where, where we have a chance to go south yeah yeah plunge into persistent low-level narcissism as you say <laughs> yeah I mean, we're, that's kind of our default state, I think. <laughs> <laughs> not that we, not that we know it, but if you say so, I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to accept those words and think about it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So you did this uh, interesting, unique project called Love Is Not Enough for Audible. It was just an audio uh, recording with the interviews with the couples. And yep. um, what, what's up next, man? What, what other creative thing you got cooking? I am just finishing off the the draft i'm i'm helping will smith write his memoir and uh, just actually just finished off the the first draft yesterday um and and just started revising it today so that will come out probably next year sometime but that that's been a lot of fun that's been a really really cool perk Miami bringing the heat for real. Y'all don't understand. I've never seen so many Dominican women with cinnamon tans. Will Smith. Oh man. That's well gonna done. be that's gonna be a great book. Yeah, it's he's he's awesome and it's it's been a ton of fun and it and it it's really honestly like it's it's been one of my favorite projects that I've worked on in my career. Um just because I mean he's fun and he's got a lot of cool ideas and and an interesting life, but, um, but it, it's, it's been a real honor to, to just take somebody of who's done so much in his life and, uh, and just help him share it with the world. You know, he, he's just, he's never really opened up mm. about his life, um, before. And so it, it's, it's a real honor to kind of be a part of that and help him do it. Did you have to beat out numerous other high-profile candidates for the the job of of getting his life story <laughs> together? Um, I don't know, but it was you know getting the gig was was a real trip. It was the maybe the weirdest job interview process I've ever gone through. <laughs> I don't know how much I could talk about it publicly, but it was it was there were a lot of gatekeepers and. Mm. Uh, and then a lot of just surreal experiences of like, you know, getting an email on a Wednesday night saying, are you free to go to London? And then replying and being like, yeah, sure. When? And they're like, tomorrow morning. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? <laughs> they're like, are you serious? Okay. Yeah. Well, there's the ticket. Yeah. They're serious. All right. Well, <laughs> he had to see if you could hang big Willie style. Of course. Exactly. Exactly. I, and I guess I passed the test. <laughs> All right, Mark Manson, we know where to find you, markmanson.net. Anything else we want to uh, share with the listeners to to track and follow? No, uh, you know, check out the books and stay safe out there, stay healthy. Yeah, now when I search for the books, they, they pull up together, like they force you to buy both of them. So that was clever on Amazon. And oh, why not? Why not? Good. You know, yeah, stay safe and healthy, everybody. Thanks for spending the time, Mark. Yep, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show. 
and get over themselves because they need to. Thanks for doing it.